Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is another man who has done it all in the game of baseball as he was a professional baseball player, manager, coach, and scout. From 1980 through 1984, he served as the bullpen coach of the San Francisco Giants, primarily a catcher during his six-year minor league playing career. He was a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers and Los Angeles Angels organizations. He then managed in the Giants' farm system from 73 to 78. After coaching under Dave Bristol, Frank Robinson, and Danny Ozark, he then worked as a major league advanced scout for the Giants, Dodgers, Angels, and Atlanta Braves through 2004. As a 20-year-old minor leaguer, he served as the catcher on the original 1959-1960 television series Home Run Derby. We are thrilled to have him join us tonight and talk about it all. And so we welcome John Van Norum to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, John. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's nice at this age to get a phone call from anybody. Uh, you know, it's so interesting, and this is I was so thrilled. So let's start with the Home Run Derby. Many of us watched this week's Home Run Derby at the All-Star Game, and those of a certain age flashed back to the 1960 television show that was held at Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, pitting the top sluggers of Major League Baseball against each other in nine-inning home run contests. What I find interesting is the show was filmed in 1959, so at that point, you're a member of Roy Hartsfield's Odessa Dodgers. You were a shortstop third baseman. It wasn't until the following year as a Reno Silver Sox under Tom Saffel, who besides being your manager was also the pitcher on Home Run Derby, that you began catching. So how did you end up catching on that TV show? Well, at that time, uh, Wrigley Field was uh, the uh, offices for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Kenny Myers signed me. And a lot of times we would work out two and three times a week at Wrigley Field, and I would always put the catching gear on and go behind the plate, and I kind of had a, a yearning to catch. So that's how I really got my start in catching, and then this opportunity came up, and I just got behind the plate then. So there was prize money involved in that show. The winner received a check for $2,000, was invited for the next week's episode against the new opponent. The runner-up received $1,000, if a batter hit three home runs in a row, he would receive an additional 500 A fourth in a row, he'd get a $500 bonus check. Any consecutive home runs be hit beyond that would each be worth $1,000. And it, as an incentive for the pitcher to throw home run balls, he also received prize money. Do you remember what you received to, per episode to catch you know, every pitch that was thrown? You know what? I wasn't the only catcher there. Ronnie Boone was a catcher, and obviously uh, Tommy Saffle didn't throw the whole thing. I threw a lot of uh, games, and Ronnie Boone uh, threw a lot of games. And uh, they said that the pitcher got uh, money for home runs, and that's not true, because <laughs> if that was true, I'm still waiting for my check. <laughs> oh. So, so uh, you're doing something that is sort of a sports competition. It's a battle. It's a one-on-one, -on -one, but it's also primarily a TV show. So how different was it? How unlike baseball was it that really this was being filmed? Or was it just a baseball game and there's some cameras out there to record it? Well, it was, it was uh, you know, they had an umpire and then they had a, a look. They could have had mannequins in the outfield, but it, it did resemble a, a field. And 
it, it was strictly like the like it is now. It's uh, the home run was the big deal, and of course we had the home run hitters, so that's why it sold. So you're 20 years old with one season of you know professional baseball under your belt, and here you are either behind the plate or throwing pitches to Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, as they're taking turns trying to hit home runs out of Wrigley Field in Los Angeles. As an aspiring major leaguer. You know, did you get any time one-on-one with these guys to talk about the craft of baseball? And how could you not be in awe of, of the stars of the day as a guy aspiring to be a professional a major league player? Well, that's true. Uh, of course, in the Dodger organization, uh, we all went to uh, Vero Beach, and we were around the big league players, so that took a little bit of the, uh, the glamour off of it. But at the same time, uh, I didn't get around the players a lot, although... Mickey Mantle had told me one time if he if I throw up three home runs he'd take me out to dinner or and us to dinner and uh, he I gave up two and he hit the top of the fence but uh, he did take us out to dinner and uh, it was a real thrill obviously and uh, he was such a, a real good guy and that's really about the only guy I had a chance to uh, talk to. Nineteen players, including nine future Hall of Famers, uh, participated in that series. Almost all of them, the power hitters of the preeminent power hitters of the day. Was there any particular contest matchup that you remember just sitting there watching these home runs go out, just being in awe of? Well, obviously, you know, Mantle hit the long, the really the high, high fly balls and so forth. But the the guy that really impressed us at the time was uh, Hank Aaron. Of course, he won a lot of uh, a lot of the episodes too, but. He was a line drive hitter, and his home runs didn't clear the fence by two or three feet, but they just kept on going, and uh, he, he was really a delight to watch. So after the series, you continued playing in the minors as a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers and Angels organization, as we mentioned in the mm-hmm. open. You did that through 1964, and then after a season with the San Jose Bees under Rocky Burgess, you retire, and you start a job as a salesman for the Oscar Mayer Hot Dog Company. You still played semi-pro baseball, then played in the Canadian Leagues. You went back to school, coached high school and college teams. Then you get a call to manage the 1973 Decatur Commodores, the single-A affiliate of the San Francisco Giants. Do you remember getting the call from Dick Wilson and how that opportunity came about to manage? Yeah, you know, uh, I had I needed some units to graduate from college and get my teaching credential, and uh, I was helping at Bullard High School in Fresno, and we had play, played a ball game against uh, a, another high school in Fresno that had a first-round draft choice. And that's where I met Dick, because I had played against him in the minor leagues. And then we kind of formed uh, a, a friendship there, and he's the one that uh, contacted Jack Schwartz about me, and uh, then Jack had called me. You end up managing over six years in, in the minors, over 800 games, winning more than half of them, while developing young major league talent such as John the Count Montefusco, who actually reached out to me and, and wanted me to say hello to you because you were his first manager ever in the minors. Uh, Gary Alexander, Rob Dressler, Bob Nepper, Jack Clark, Pete Falcone, Greg Mitten, Bob Brenly. What was the most gratifying part of, of laying the foundation for so many successful major league careers? Well, you know, you're dealing with a bunch of young kids at the, and you're trying to, uh, you're going through a little adolescence and so forth. So you had to keep them on a, on the right track. And, and, uh, I always remember Jack Clark because, uh, Jack was, uh, uh, really a fine young man. And there, I did discipline a little bit and, uh, 
I can remember a few instances where he didn't like it, but at, to this day he thanks me very much. But, uh, you know, you you got to have discipline in this game, and uh, I know a lot of the parents really appreciated that. You know, it's interesting you single out Jack Clark as one of the guys. Out of the players that you coached and managed over the years, is there you know one that stood out from day one that you pegged as a can't miss that you knew definitely from day one was going to the majors? And on the opposite side of that, was there one who you thought at the beginning was this kid has no chance of making the majors, but because of his work ethic and his work ethic out, you know, outdistanced his talent, made it to the majors? Well, I think Bob Brenly was one. Uh, of course, Bob was a third baseman when he played for me, and uh, Andy Gilbert changed him to go behind the plate, which really salvaged his career. I had a number of kids that played in the big leagues but didn't really make a name for themselves, but they still had time in the big leagues, and they were just uh, also rounds, low draft choices and so forth. But Tommy Reynolds uh, was one of them, and then Joe Strain was another one. So from 80 to 84, you served as the bullpen coach for the Giants. Um, many of the right. guys we mentioned that you had in the minors are part of that pitching staff, including Greg Mitten, who under your guidance had the best years of his career. Um, what was your primary job as the Giants bullpen coach at a time when they had Vita Blue and a very young Atlee Hamaker? Well, uh, we were playing at Candlestick, and my big job was just keeping warm, to be honest with you. But... Uh, <laughs> We had some real, you know, we had some real good players, obviously, but we never did get into any postseason play. But uh, Atley came on strong and had that one really good year and an all-star year. And then we got Vita Blue from Kansas, from uh, from Oakland later on, and uh, that was a delight to be around him. But uh, we struggled a lot, obviously, but we had some very good players. And, of course, Jack Clark was uh, one of the main ones. You know, people talk about a wild ballpark candlestick was do you have any favorite stories any memories something being out there in the bullpen and watching or, or you know, other than staying warm uh well you know there were a number of nights that the ball would go up and get lost in the fog and of course we'd have fog delays occasionally but uh, there were just it was always a uh a real adventure to watch fly balls go up with the wind and the circling wind and so forth. But we we had a pretty good uh, base uh, attendance, and uh, that was good, which was about 3,000, I think. But uh, it was a tough place to play, and no one liked to play. And I, and it, we should have had a, a whole lot of advantage when we really, I don't think, took advantage like we should have. Yeah, you spent so many years in the game, and you did mention a, a little bit about you know not being so much in awe because you spent a lot of you know spring trainings down in Vero Beach in Dodgertown, and, and Dodgertown unfortunately no longer exists in the, the fashion it, it did. Could you tell our audience that might not know about Dodgertown what it was like to be in that complex, which really was the model for yeah. minor league complexes back in the day? Well, uh, Vero Beach, uh, it was a, a naval air station, and uh, when the Dodgers took over, of course, they built the fields and so forth, and and at that time, of course, we had 17 farm clubs, so we had fields all over the place there, but everybody was, uh, the big leaguers, too, we were all in the, in the one camp, and uh, we'd all eat in the same room, and there were a number of times that we would be in line with uh, Walter O'Malley and his wife and 
So it, it really made for a good organization. And then, of course, uh, we got to watch the big league players play their, their spring training games, too. So it, it really helped, I think, to, to adjust to, to the game itself. And if you, you know, if you're young and you don't know, if you Google it, you can see like all the barracks that became the the player housing during there. So it was wild, wild stuff. Um, all those, oh yeah. All those years in baseball. What are some of the things that stand out most to you? Whether it be through your minor league career, whether it be during the home run derby, whether it be managing or, or coaching at the big league level. What are some of the things that that you look back fondly on and, and remember, and they put a smile on your face? Well, you know, just being around the, the, the guys and the struggle that they go through, I, I had more fun it really and truly in the minor leagues because you like to see kids and play. And, of course, at that age, they play hard, and they go as hard as they can. And, and uh, it's just a delight to see their, their faces when they do well and so forth. And then, of course, on the other hand, sometimes you have to uh, to tell a lot of young men that maybe they should try another line of work, but uh, it's just it's just uh, it's such a great game, and, and there's a lot to learn and, and uh, to be able to impart that on younger fellows. I I thought really rewarding. So when you look at the home run derby today, did you ever think back then in 1960 that would become quite the phenomenon that it is now with a night of its own on the all an all star break? No, I really haven't. And of course, uh, they did have uh, in 1980, and I can't really recall 83 or 84 because I threw to uh, Jeff Leonard, and uh, we did go and play the final. We had uh, it was kind of an elimination thing, and our final one was uh, he went up against Greg Luzinski in uh, Detroit before the San Diego Padres and Detroit uh, Tigers went at it. But uh, that was uh, it didn't take off like we thought it would, and uh, but this one now it it's. Uh, <laughs> I have trouble trouble watching it because I did catch. Uh, a little of, uh, of that, some of these baseballs that they use. And uh, let me tell you something. When they find them tight, they can go a long, long way. And I, I just uh, I don't I, I, I just don't go for it, to be honest with you. But everybody else does, so good for them. So w when you're in that bullpen w with the Giants, with like an Atlee Hamaker or, or some of the pitches we mentioned, the John LeCount, Matt Defusco, or Vita Blue, did any of them know that you were part of that TV series and ask you what it was like to be around Mays and Aaron the, you know, at that point in their careers when they were the best in the game? No. Uh-uh. You know, uh, y young people today, they, they have no idea about history and uh uh, a lot of them, I, I, I could say Mickey Mantle, and they probably wouldn't even know who the hell they are, wow. particularly today. But uh, it's too bad. But, uh, no, I was never asked about that. John, thanks so much for your time tonight. And now for those, I mean, I've been posting an episode a day on YouTube. And for those that, you know, watch them, now you can. But the thing is, we don't know which. you remember which episodes you pitched to? You, so you said you pitched to Mantle. All right, so we know that. Do you know who else yeah. you pitched to? I, you know what? I, I bought the doggone cassette deal, and I've got uh, I don't know how many. Uh, I, I saw all the episodes, and I really can't tell you. I would say probably half of them I was behind the plate, and then uh, I probably pitched in eight or ten of them. 
a lot of different guys pitched too. But uh, you know, that was uh, I was making a hundred dollars a day, and that was just uh, boy, I was living like a big fat dog. Boy, I bought myself a new Volkswagen Beetle, and uh, I was on my way. So gotta love it. But I, I really couldn't pinpoint anything. All right, John, we appreciate it, and you know, we will watch the, the episodes now a little bit more closely, and, and every pitch thrown, we'll be thinking of your Volkswagen, your, your 1960 Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, it was a beauty. <laughs> what color was it? It was, uh, I, I can't remember what they called it, but it was white, cloud white, I think. I don't remember. It was right when it first came out, but uh, I, was, uh, I was king of the hill there for a long time. Awesome, John. Thanks so much for spending some time with us tonight and sharing those great stories with us. Okay, well, thank you.